I really don't need that kind of introduction, but thanks. <laughs> so like 35 years ago, I was a young and impressionable freshman at a military academy. From the moment we arrived, the officers and upperclassmen of that particular school embarked on a process to transform us um, into officers fit for the United States Air Force. They had this ideal, and, and, and we all needed to conform, to look, and to act the part. So we got off the buses. The first thing they did when we arrived was to shave our heads. Now, I always had short hair, so it wasn't that big a deal for me, but others with golden locks, his hair began to pile up around the chairs, literally, not making that up. It was a bit traumatic. Big babies. <laughs> then they issued us matching uniforms. I mean, everything was the same, from underwear to socks to shoes to shirts to jackets to coats to belts to hats, exactly the same. And that clothing had to be folded exactly the same way placed in the dresser, which is in the exact same spot in every room, six-by-six six underwear and six-by-twelve T-shirts. The uh, uniforms hung on hangers exactly four inches apart. The uniform of the day would be announced, and everybody would wear the same uniform. This was all part of that transformation to make us into a unity, a community, I suppose. Well, I know this is no shave November. Everyone shaved every day. Well, most of us. One day, sure enough, an upperclassman was in my face yelling at me for something that I'm sure I didn't do. And he stopped mid-sentence and asked, Mr. Andrews, did you shave today? And I said, no, sir. That's all I said. See, I didn't have the nerve to tell him that I'd never shaved a day in my life. <laughs> but from that day forward, I, I brought an electric razor because they told me to. I turned it on, just kind of waved it around. <laughs> it's part of the transformation. At the end of the year, even though we might wear the few civilian clothes that we had left, going to town, you could pretty much tell, yeah, which ones were the cadets from the local military school. So let me ask you some questions. We, too, are supposed to be a community. So when we go into town, can people tell, people tell by observing you that you are a follower of Jesus Christ? Now, before you get all irritable, I'm not talking about looking exactly the same way externally. I don't, I don't frankly care how long your hair is or whether or not you uh, have facial hair, although I'm a little jealous, or whether you have sport tats or piercings. I don't have those. 
It seems to me they hurt. <laughs> I don't care if you wear polo shirts or T-shirts, leather shoes that you can polish or chacos. It's not the point. Can people tell by observing you the things that you have put off and the things that you have put on that you are a Christian? You see, the gospel also embarks on a transformation process to transform us into an ideal, to the same image, the image of Jesus Christ. And there are some things we're supposed to put off and some things that we're supposed to put on in order to be transformed. Now, as I thought about that this week, I realized that unfortunately, many focus on the putting off part, on all of the things that Christians don't do. That's right. So let me ask you another related question. As a follower of Christ, are you known more for what you don't do or more for what you do do? Again, many Christians today are known more for what they're against than what they're for. I'm a Christian, and Christians don't believe that. They don't support that. They don't do that. By the way, we're all Republicans. I was just kidding about that last one. This is cited, by the way, as a primary reason why so many young adults are leaving the church. I'm not suggesting it's a good reason, but many are leaving. They are tired of the fact that many Christians are known for what they don't believe rather than what they do believe. Tired of the fact that many condemn sinners but do nothing to care for sinners. Now, don't get me wrong. The Bible has many prohibitions, lots of commands regarding things that we are not sub supposed to do. There are lots of thou shalt nots. But where is our focus to be? Look at me. I'm a Christian. You can tell because I don't, well, I don't like you. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't look like you. I don't like you either, but <laughs> I don't dress like you. I don't go where you go, and I certainly don't do what you do. In fact, why don't we spend some time talking about the things that you do that you shouldn't? It's interesting to note that when Jesus was asked what was the, great, the greatest commandment, he said, love God. And the second one was just like it, love people. And then James and Paul both capitalized on that and said, listen, if you will just love God and love people, you will do what you should do and you won't do what you should not do. I grew up in a church culture, a little bit like the one I'm talking about, where we were known for what we did not do. We did not smoke. We did not chew. We did not drink we did not dance. We did not go to certain movies. Well, at least mom didn't know. <laughs> and she still listens. She, still, she listens to my podcast. So mom. 
We record the second service, so now I'm in trouble. Like next time I go home. We don't dress in certain ways. We didn't listen to certain kinds of music. You know, backwards masking. And we didn't wear our hair in certain ways either. I guess there was a sense in which we were being transformed externally to look and act the same way. Is that the point? Last time we were in our study of Colossians together, Paul did give us a couple of vice, vice lists. There, there are some things that Christians do not do. See, at the beginning of chapter 3, Paul encouraged us to set our minds, to set our affections on things above, where Christ is seated, and not on the things of this earth. Then he proceeded to describe some of those earthly things. You need to put to death, he said. He's talking to you. Well, and me too, but you. You need to put to death sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed. All of that amounts to idolatry. Christians are not supposed to be sexually immoral, whether it's deeds of sexual immorality like premarital or extramarital sex or attitudes of sexual immorality like evil passion, evil desires, and and lust. We are supposed to put that stuff to, to death. That's true. Then he gave a second list that further described these earthly things. These are things that you're to put off. Remember, he kind of said it's like taking off a a dirty garment. You're supposed to lay these things aside. Primarily, this list are sins of the mouth, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech, and lying. Christians are not supposed to talk or act like that. And we say, amen. Amen. Let's just keep talking about all those things that Christians don't do. Because I can keep a list of prohibitions and feel pretty doggone good about myself. Tell me, Scott, what else am I not supposed to do? Got a problem, you see, because Paul goes on from there to talk about some things that we're supposed to put on. There is a uniform, if you will, that we are to put on to wear that will build us into a community. There are, there are certain ways that Christians are supposed to look. Now, I want you to think about this putting stuff off and putting stuff on metaphor, this getting undressed and dressed thing metaphor that Paul uses. He said, put off like a dirty article of clothing these things. But if we spend all of our time taking stuff off, we're just naked. We're not clothed in anything that makes us attractive. We're just throwing stuff off. Yes, we're supposed to do that, but we don't stop there. Please don't stop there. We put some things on. The things that we put on make us look like followers of Christ. I want you to get that. I want you to get this. It is not so much the absence of things that makes us look like Christians, although that is true. It is not so much the absence of things that makes us look like Christians, but the presence of things, the things that we have put on that makes us look like followers of Christ. What are those things? Let's look at our text, Colossians chapter 3, 3. Verses, verses 12 to 14 say this. So as those 
who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on, like it's a piece of clothing, love, which is the perfect bond of unity. See, it's See how much easier it is to talk about not doing certain things? I mean, I can, I can do that. I can take no sexual immorality, check. No evil desire or greed, check. No wrath or malice, step behind the wheel, or slander or abusive speech or lying, check. But do you have to talk now about what we put on? Because I'm, yeah, we are. So let me give you the outline. It's pretty simple. This is, we're going we're gonna to go why we put these things on, what we put on, the result, how, we, how we're going to see it in the community, and then the crown of what we put on, starting, starting with why do we put these things on? Why change our clothing at all? What is the basis of our new look? What is the basis of this makeover that we've embarked upon? I remind you that back in verse 10, Paul reminded us that we have put on a new self that is being renewed. Thank the Lord for being renewed, being transformed into a new image, namely is being transformed into the image of Christ. And this new image is one in a community where there is no distinction those distinctions that we normally observe between Greek and Jews and uncircumcised and circumcised and slave and, and freemen. Please notice how all of this transformation um, that takes place um, is seen in the context of community, of being with one another. These are all relational terms. We're going to come back to this. It's critically important. I am not going to tell you to be kind to yourself. Be patient with yourself. Go see a counselor. They'll tell you to do that. I was kidding. I'm going to tell you to be kind to one another. Be gentle with one another. Paul says, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. That's the basis of our new identity. That's the basis of our new look. We have been chosen by God, we are holy, and we are beloved. Now we ought to look like that. First thing that you should note is that those three terms, those three descriptions were very specific and typically used of Israelites in the Old Testament, descendants of Abraham. They were the chosen of God. They were holy. They were um, loved by God. For example, and they were very proud of this, Deuteronomy chapter 7, uh, Moses says, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession. Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, the Lord did not set his love on you because there were so many of you. And no, um, um, you were the fewest of all people. He loved you and kept his oath that he made to your forefathers. So we see that God chose the Israelites and he, and he made them holier, set them apart, and he loved them. These are words that apply to 
Jews. We're all right with that. Now, Peter uses the same concept in his first letter in chapter 2. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people uh, for God's own possession. That's the idea of love. And that's kind of a big deal there. Peter is using that Old Testament language reserved for Jews to talk about Christians. But we, okay, that's okay because Peter is writing to Christian Jews who were scattered because of the persecution. They're, they're descendants of, of Abraham. But now Paul comes along and actually uses these terms for Gentile readers when he writes to the church at Colossae. This is amazing. This is unbelievable. These terms that he uses of the church at Colossae and the, and the terms that he uses of you. You are you too are chosen, you too are holy, and you too are loved by God. This is a huge deal. Look briefly at each of those descriptions. First, you were chosen of God. The word is eclectos, means to be chosen or elect. So we're from which we get our word elect, the chosen or elect of God. Now, I know some people get a little irritable when I use that word. I just want to remind you, Paul's using it. And he uses this idea all over his writings. He says, just like Israel was chosen by God to be his special people, so we were elected or chosen by God. This is supposed to be an encouragement to us. We're not supposed to be fighting about it. Second, we are holy. That word often speaks of, uh, has a sense of morality in it. But here he's, he speaks of that which has been set apart. He, he chose us and he set us apart for his purposes. And third, we are beloved. It's in the passive. We are actually, people, listen to me. You are actually loved by God. And he loved you first, 1 John tells us. Just like he chose us first. This is amazing. He, 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 he chose us, and the, and, and the result of that choice was we have been set apart, and the basis of that choice is that he loved us before the foundation of the world. Ephesians chapter 1 makes this clear. It says, in love. He predestined us to adoption. He predestined us to be adopted as sons and daughters. This is supposed to make you thankful. In light of that, he says, what do we put on? Just like the previous vice list contained five items, this list also very intentionally contains five items. First, put on like a uniform because this this ought to identify you. People ought to be able to tell as they observe you. Put on a heart of compassion. A compassionate heart. The old King James has it translated bowels of mercy. See, because the word heart is really the word splankna. I like to say that word splankna, from which we get our word spleen. And it was used to speak of your insides, your intestines, your gut. We get that. We speak of something being gut-wrenching. So Paul here says, put on gut-wrenching compassion for one another. Care for each other in such compassionate ways that you can feel it in the pit of your stomach. Now I'm going to 
I'm going to tell you, give you a little illustration about that. I'm going to talk about my wife. Now we need to, now second service people, we need to talk. Because when I talk about my wife, she comes into third service, she's walking in, you're walking out, and everyone's going, oh, Scott talked about you today. Stop it! Because <laughs> I'm probably not going to tell this story in third service. <laughs> so stop, just stop it. So a few weeks ago, you know, this is uh, Thanksgiving's next week, and we have two daughters who are twins and sophomores at Liberty, and so they, they get the whole week off. Sorry, ASU. They get the whole week off, um, and so they came, they were, they're going to come home last Friday, day before yesterday. And, um, but they called us a few weeks ago and said they had some friends who were from far away, and they were, you know, one's from California and one's from Canada, and they're not able to go home. You know, they're going to have to stay here. They can't go, they can't go home. Yeah, and so my wife came in. She said, there's some students, they can't go home. <laughs> and she's crying. I'm not kidding, like big crocodile tears. I said, well, they can come. And so that's why I'm not going to tell it because they're going to be here in third service. And so the Canadian and the Californian are here and um, friends. And so then last weekend, because Laura couldn't wait to come for Thanksgiving, I hear out in the, I hear out in the kitchen. And she's talking to my wife, and my wife says, now, Laura, you need, and, and Laura and Olivia are on two different floors. And said, you guys, you need to go back and find out if anybody else can't come home. <laughs> I'm in the living room going, there are hundreds of girls on those floors. <laughs> and I'm thinking, wait, we've only got two cars, but they probably have cars. Fortunately, just the two, everyone else got someplace. We didn't have any more strays, and so they got, <laughs> got I know, so yeah, it's going to be like on the recording. <laughs> and so any, in, anyway, my wife, I guess i got to tell you, she came in, she just was crying. She has heart of compassion. This is, this is how we demonstrate a heart of compassion for brothers and sisters in Christ. We feel in the pit of our stomach for them. I don't even know these girls till Friday. But they're sisters. Second, put on kindness. Oh, i got to move fast. By the way, three of these words are also listed in the fruit of the Spirit, kindness, gentleness, and patience. And the reason I point that out is the best way to put on these is to be filled with or controlled by the Holy Spirit. Then you will demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit to include kindness. The word simply speaks of goodness, of excellence, of kindness. Please, again, notice that these are directed toward each other in the community. Again, I'm not telling, he is not telling us to be nice to yourself, but to be kind in the community of believers. And we find that many of these descriptions are used of God in his dealings with us. For example, in Romans chapter 2, do you think like, lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness, the same word of God le leads you and in most cases led you to repentance. He's been kind toward you people. We should be kind toward one another. Third, we put on humility. And we remember that these qualities are supposed to identify us as followers of Christ. And so we put on humility. And the reason that I, that's important is, we've talked about this before, humility did not appear on any Greek virtue lists. 
Humility was despised. It was seen as weakness. Something to be shunned, not us. It's a quality um, that thinks of others first, that puts other people first. Remember I said, humility is not thinking lowly of yourselves like you're some doormat. That's not, it's not thinking of yourself at all. It's thinking, of, it's thinking of others. There's no, perhaps no other quality necessary to build unity within the community than humility. And perhaps no other quality that will destroy unity in the community than its opposite, and that is pride. Fourth, we put on gentleness. Very interesting word. This word in the old translations used to be translated meekness. We don't use that word so much. Like humility, we, we think of meekness rhymes with weakness. That's not what he's talking about. It, this gentleness is this quality of being safe. When you think about that, don't you have people in your life who are just safe? They're, they're, they're gentle towards you. That's the kind of people we are supposed to be. It does not describe weakness. In fact, this particular word was used um, of a horse that had been broken or a lion that had been tamed to speak of they are, the, 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 the horse or the lion is now meek. It is now power under control. That's gentle. I'm not asking you to be weak. I'm asking you to control your power. Parents, control your power. Husbands, control your Matthew chapter 11, the only place in the Gospels Jesus gives a self-description. He describes himself. And this is what he says. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. That's the word. Oh, and then he says, and humble in heart. Same Related words. We are to be gentle and humble too if we are to be transformed into the image of our Christ. Fifth, we put on patience. Patience. Please understand these are not natural qualities. We had to take off those natural qualities like anger and wrath. Those are attitudes and actions to which our flesh is naturally drawn. But now as followers of Christ, filled by the Spirit, we put off those things and put on as a fruit of the Spirit patience. Are you a patient person? I'm not going to ask that question in the third service either. <laughs> are you patient? The word literally speaks of being long-suffering of suffering long. The word is used of God showing great patience toward us in Romans 9. In the context of community, we are to be patient with each other. Now, very quickly, in verses 13 and 14, next two points. In verse 13, Paul gives us a couple of very important ways these qualities will manifest themselves in the community of believers. As we put these things on, and that's the main verb of the sentence, put these things on, there will be, as a result, as a consequence, two participles that support these qualities. First, we will bear with one another. 
People who have put these qualities on, we bear with one another. This bearing with one another could have to do with uh, bearing with one another's shortcomings, mistakes, failures. We call them sins. But he addresses that in the second participle. So it's more likely that he means we simply need to put up with one another's differences. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but we're different. And there are some Things that I do, I'm sure, that annoy you. Not moral issues. That's not what we're talking about. As you put on patience and gentleness and kindness, you need to bear with those things that I do that annoy you. And I'll make a deal with you. If you put up with my little annoyances, I'll put up with your big ones. We do this in the context of community. But it is true, every once in a while we go beyond differences. We go to sinning, wronging each other. You will sin against me and I will sin against you. So the second way this quality manifests itself is we are forgiving of each other. Forgiving. What's this mean? It means, listen carefully. It means no grudges, no holding things to your account not holding it over your head so that we can serve it up later, not carrying around a trash bag of all your wrongs so that the next time you mess up, I can dump the whole trash bag in your lap again. We forgive. What do we forgive? Well, he goes on. doesn't matter. Whatever, whoever has a grievance against anyone, it does not matter how egregious, it does not matter how often we forgive just as the Lord forgave us. You know, he could have gone all like, you know, church age without writing those words. As the Lord forgave us. So I want you to think right now of the worst sin you've ever committed. Got it? Probably more than once. I want you to understand that you committed that against God and he forgave you. He forgave you. If he forgave, forgives us, we ought also to forgive one another. Finally, verse 14 speaks of the crowning quality of what we put on beyond or over all of these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Now, Paul could be saying this quality is more important than all of the others. He, he's, he seems to indicate that, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. He says if you'll love, you'll fulfill all of the commandments. Could be that he's doing that, or it could simply be saying this, over all of these qualities that you put on, put on as the outer garment, as, as a robe or as a, as a coat, put on love, which governs all of the others. Think about that for just a moment. Do you think it's, do you think it's possible to show compassion and patience and kindness without love? I think sometimes we do. And it feels just about how it feels right now as you heard me say that. That doesn't feel real good. This is not a checklist. I'm not giving you a to-do list, all right? All right, all right, I gotta be humble, check. Gotta be patient, maybe not. Gentle, check, all right? I gotta do these things. No, these are to characterize us so that as we relate with each other and it goes through that 
filter of love, it builds unity in the body. Let me go back to the beginning as we close. People should be able to tell by looking at us that we are Christians, not necessarily by the clothes that we wear, not necessarily by the way that we look, but because we don't act like the world with its focus on earthly things, things that Paul identified as sexual sins and sins of the mouth. It is true. These are things that we put to death. These are things that we put off. We act differently than we did before we were Christians. But as we take those things off, what do we put in their place? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, all governed by love. And these are most clearly seen then in the way that we bear with one another and forgive one another. An ancient historian who himself was not a believer but wrote of believers, frankly, in a very condescending way, once had to admit, I think it was Tacitus, but he had to admit, my, how these Christians love one another. That's what we should be. So let me challenge us to be a community that looks the same in these virtues. And, and let me take it a step further. It's probably a little easier to do this with brothers and sisters a Sunday morning for like an hour. You know, maybe you got another hour because you got that life group thing or youth group or community or, or, uh, or, or college connection, all that stuff. So I, I, I could pull it together for two hours a week. What about those that we see every day? Husbands, wives, children, parents, roommates, especially as they may be brothers and sisters in Christ. What about those people that we live with, eat with, those people that we do life with? I'm going to tell you, it's going to be a little harder to put on these qualities. But I'm also going to suggest that it is there where those qualities begin if there's to be any reality in your life. Let's stand for prayer. Father, you have, uh, you have called us to your, you chose us, you called us, you set us apart, you love us when we were unlovable. And now you've embarked through the gospel on a process of transforming us into the image of your son. So would you help us to say no to these vile vices, but would you help us to say yes to these beautiful, Christ-exalting qualities that build unity in the body of Christ called the church. Make us look the same as it relates to these things. In Christ's name, amen.